What is up, New York Rangers fans, and welcome to episode 66 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and greetings from the Motor City of Detroit, where we are recording this week. I have to quickly apologize if you hear any echoes. This hotel room has like super high ceilings, so not the best environment for recording, but we're going to make the best of it. Also, apologies if I sound a little congested, definitely fighting a little bit of a cold or something right now. Not feeling great, runny nose, sore throat, definitely think I got it from the baby who brought it home from daycare and was dealing with like a runny nose and stuff in the day or two before I left for this trip. But we're powering through it. We're here. We're having a good time on the road. I have a flight to catch in a couple hours. But we're going to quickly run through an intro here, a bunch of stuff I want to hit on with you guys. We have an exciting guest this week back by popular demand. A lot of you have been asking me to reach back out to this guest who was on once previously, and that would be Steve Valaket from the MSG Networks, of course, former Rangers goalie as well. So we have a pretty extensive interview with Valley coming up. Hit on a lot of different topics, get his thoughts on the trade deadline, get his thoughts on the current trends with the Rangers, how he feels about their playoff chances, a lot of different stuff in that interview. So we're going to try to get to that one pretty quickly. But of course, first, we have to talk about what's happened since we last spoke. And that is a handful of game for the Rangers, including these back to backs on this road trip in Pittsburgh and Detroit. And it's really been pretty ho-hum for the Rangers. They've now won four in a row, so every game since our last episode they've won, including both games on this trip. The big thing, obviously the headline, the thing you have to underline about what's happened in this past week, is that they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins twice. That's important for a few reasons, which we'll get to. But looking at the games themselves, Friday at Madison Square Garden, a dominant effort from the Rangers. One of their best games of the season, Gerard Gallant said as much after the game, they beat the Penguins 5-1, to one, thoroughly outplayed them in that game. Everything about the way that the Rangers looked in that game, I think, sort of encapsulated what they were hoping to look like coming out of that trade deadline with all of their added depth. I thought they looked fast. I thought the forecheck was really good. I thought the defense was really tight. They generated plenty of offense, obviously, as evidenced by the five goals. And with Igor Shosturkin in net, you obviously feel great about your chances, but they didn't even have to ask him to do a whole lot in that game. They they really played one of their best games of the season on Friday, took it to the Penguins, sent a bit of a message there. Then Tuesday, they head to Pittsburgh. And, and you have to figure, all the Rangers were talking about this. Everybody I spoke to in the lead up to this game was bringing up that the Penguins were, were pissed off about what happened. They were going to come out ha- hungry. And the Rangers were really anticipating a tough, tough game. It was a tough game, obviously a much closer game. But the Rangers really, once again, clamped down on them. They they are starting to prove time and time again that that they can handle these tight-checking, low-scoring, grinded-out kind of games. And that's exactly what they did with a 3-2 win in Pittsburgh on Friday. I'm sorry, not Friday, Tuesday. Again, a game that, that... if you look at the stats and everything, probably could have went either way, but it did also feel like the Rangers were in control. I, I was on a radio show on Wednesday morning, and I was asked about how chaotic the last minute or two of that game was, where the Rangers had some empty net chances that they missed. Igor Shesterkin was peppered with a few chances from the Penguins. They had 
come within one goal on a power play by Sidney Crosby, and then they were making a push to go for the tying goal and force overtime. But really, it's almost, I guess maybe we take it for granted at this point, but when you watch this game, especially when Igor is in net, you just feel this confidence late in games that even if the Rangers are holding on to a one-goal lead, that they're going to find a way to pull it out. They really haven't blown those games too many times. And that's not to say it hasn't happened because it has. But between having such a good goalie and then having a team that has shown this resiliency and has shown time and time again that they can come back when they're down, they're, they're up to 24 comeback wins, which is a franchise record this season. And when they're winning, that they, they do a pretty good job of holding on to those, those wins. So they did that in Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. And notably, they did it without Ryan Strom, who's been out for the last two games with a lower body injury. I have to tell you, I I know people are skeptical about how serious it might be given the lack of information that we get on injuries, but I I really don't think this is super serious. I really do think the Rangers are being cautious. I've seen Strom a couple times on this trip. I saw him in the arena in Pittsburgh working out, so he was walking around fine, lifting weights, it doesn't look like it's a tremendously bad lower body injury if he's able to do some of these things and move around the way that he is. So he seems like he's he's okay. I wouldn't anticipate him being out for too much longer, but it also kind of makes sense to play it safe given the position the Rangers are in where we know they basically have a playoff spot locked up and they have all these new forwards. They have all this depth that they can still find ways to win without a top six piece like Strom. It's opened up the door for them to now give Andrew Kopp, who we talked about at length in last week's episode, more of a look on the second line, particularly at center, where I really, as I told you guys in the past, don't think that the Rangers are thinking too, too far ahead at this point. And I really don't know if anybody is convinced that Kopp would be the answer at second line center if Strom were to move on in free agency. But this is good information for you to gather. This is only going to help them when their evaluation process comes to a head and they have to make that decision ultimately. So it's been pretty good for the most part. I don't think it's been great. Cop did score the overtime winner in Detroit on Wednesday night. I, I definitely think that you've seen some things that you like. And for those of you who are interested in really finding out a lot more about Cop, I did have a new story come out on Thursday morning where I dove into... Lots of stuff from his past. I reached out to former Michigan coach Red Berenson, who coached there for like 30-something years, and had Cop, had Tyler Mott, had Jacob Truba, had a lot of interesting things to say about those guys. Also reached out to a former coach from the U.S. National Team Development Program, who had Cop and Mott and Frank Vetrano and Truba. So all these guys, as you know, are connected from the past. And so I wanted to talk to some coaches and some people that had known them from back in the day and find out a little bit more about how these guys got to the position that they're in now, what kind of players they are, how they are in the locker room. So definitely advise checking out that story where you can read a lot more about Cop, Mott, and Vetrano in particular. But Cop, I think, you know, he's feeling his way out. It hasn't been like an instant smashing success, but I also think that there's been some things that you like to see. And you certainly see the defensive responsibility. You certainly see the hardworking gear that he has in his game and you've seen enough offensive touch I I feel like I've noticed times where he's handling the puck and and makes a pass where you think all right that's that's something right there and and obviously he's able to come through with the big goal 
I think he has six points in five games with the Rangers so far, or maybe even seven. I'd have to double check that. But I know he's he's over a point per game since he's been with the Rangers. So overall, definitely positive from him so far. And again, I think this is valuable information in the evaluation process for the Rangers to get a chance to see him play that second line center role, if only for a few games, because obviously when Strom gets back, you anticipate Strom will move to the middle and then Kopp will probably move back to right wing. But now, kind of got off track there a little bit, but getting back to the Pittsburgh thing, one of the reasons, or I guess the main reason that these games feel so relevant, besides them jockeying for positioning in the standings right now, is that this is essentially a playoff preview. I think most people around the league would be surprised if the first round is anything but Rangers versus Penguins. Look at the standings right now. The Rangers leapfrogged the Penguins for second place in the Metro with that win on Tuesday night. And then their win against Detroit on Wednesday night gave them a three-point lead for second place. So they're in a pretty good position there. Ideally, you'd like to get home ice advantage, but I, I don't think it's the end of the world if you don't. I don't think you go full bore, crazy, risking injury or overplaying guys just to get there. But obviously, in an ideal scenario, you'd like to have it. There are also three points now behind the Carolina Hurricanes, although the Canes do have one game in hand. In theory, if the Rangers get super hot, I guess they could catch them. But I think it's probably conceived as more of a long shot. I think everybody has kind of felt all year long like Carolina is the best team in the division, but certainly within striking distance as they continue to rack up these wins. And the thing you'll hear, you'll hear me talk to Valley about this in a minute. The thing about the Rangers-Penguins is that's a matchup that if you're a Rangers fan, you have to like given what you've seen in their last two meetings and just given the overall state of both teams. The Penguins, listen, Tristan Jari has had a pretty solid year for them, but we know he had a playoff meltdown last year. So I think you'd like to end up in a situation where you're going into a series against a team where there are reasons to distrust their goalie. And then the Penguins have superstars. We know that, but aging, we don't know how well-rounded that roster is. And the Rangers have shown that that's a team that they can play with. It's not one of those super fast, super heavy forechecking teams like a Carolina or a Florida that has given the Rangers trouble this season. Pittsburgh is a team that's a little more methodical, and I think that that bodes well for the Rangers, although I do think, as we've talked about on last week's episode, that the acquisitions the Rangers made have certainly improved the overall team speed, which gives them the ability to match up against different teams and tweak their lineup, and and it just seems like they have so many more options now for how to play different opponents. But Pittsburgh, I think, is a favorable matchup, and they do play one more time, I think on April 7th, if I'm recalling correctly off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure that's right. So we'll see one more matchup between these teams. But in a seven-game series with Igor Shesterkin healthy, I would call the Rangers the favorite in that series right now. So pretty good sign for them moving forward. We'll see if it turns out that way. But right now, the odds are strongly in the favor of that being the matchup. So we move on to Detroit. Rangers running on fumes, third game in four nights. By the way, shout out to Detroit because their media meal continues to be arguably the best in the league. I really picked out last night. So quick shout out to the the cooks in Detroit. I appreciate what you guys are doing. But as for the game itself, Rangers end up winning 5-4 in overtime. Again, running on fumes, not a good night at all for Alexander Georgiev, especially the first two goals he gave up. The second two he gave up, I I think you could look at those and say, okay, you know, really good shot from Tyler Bertuzzi, 
one went off a guy's skate and was kind of through traffic. So that those goals, I think, are a little harder to put all the blame on him for. But the first two, he had clean looks at those. The first one hit his stick, and basically he deflected it through his own legs. It, it just looks like he was playing passive. He didn't look very confident. He looked like he was too deep in the net. I'm no goalie expert, but you can just feel when over the course of a game like that, it doesn't feel like a guy feels really good about himself. And that was certainly the impression that I think a lot of us watching got on Wednesday night with Georgiev. But the Rangers kept bailing him out. He said it himself after the game. They responded every time the Red Wings took a lead, the Rangers would rally back. They they were probably a tire team, but they kept fighting. They kept fighting. And they really, in a lot of ways, were in control, especially when you look at the stats. They did not give up a whole lot of shots on goal. I think it was only 26. And even more telling were the high danger chances against. The Rangers only allowed four high danger chances for the Red Wings in regulation. That's one of their lowest numbers by far of the season. And you're going to hear Valley talk about it in a little bit, but the defense has been much better in, he'll tell you really since Christmas, but even more so in the last few weeks. I think the Truba-Miller pair has been outstanding for the Rangers recently. I think the Fox-Lindgren pair has maybe not been as good as we've seen them at certain points in the past, but they certainly have recovered from that stretch where they were having a little bit of difficulty. And overall, I think even more importantly, you're seeing a forward group that is totally bought into Glantz system, that is forechecking with more authority, that is backchecking with more authority, and, and you see more of a team game defensively. And just look at the shot totals in these recent games. The Rangers are in the 20s in terms of what they're allowing every night recently, whereas you know we earlier in the season, it was consistently in the 30s and 40s. So overall, the defense has been much better. The defense really did not give Detroit a whole lot of quality. Again, at least two of those goals, I think you could place the, gl- the blame on the goaltender. And then the offense, on the other hand, since these trade acquisitions, specifically if you look back to the date when the Rangers acquired Frank Vitrano, who has five goals in eight games, had a key assist, in the game against Detroit last night, he, he's definitely been a spark plug in their top six. They're producing roughly 3.4 games per goal since the Vetrano trade. And that is a much better number than what we were looking at earlier this season. So the five-on-five play is getting better. The defense is getting better. The offense has been more consistent. Overall, the Rangers are playing pretty good hockey right now, not putting as much pressure on Igor when he's been in there. And looking like they're starting to find a little bit of a groove in that next gear as we head toward the playoffs. You still have to sort out your line combinations and your chemistry and figure out what you do when Capo Caco and Kevin Rooney come back from their injuries, which should be within a week or two now, it sounds like. So there's still some some things to evaluate, some tweaks to make, and you got to figure out what your best combinations are. But the Rangers are clamping down a lot better than they were earlier in the season and just look at the five-on-five five numbers. They're, they're certainly different looking than what we were seeing back in the fall and early winter. So with that, a guy that's going to help us break all that stuff down and give us some great insight, not only into the statistics, but also player's point of view, eye test, all that. I think Valley does a really good job of combining everything and sort of putting them in, in terms that we can understand and using numbers to support what you see instead of just rattling off numbers. So that's why I want to have Valley on. And we'll get to him right now, and then I'll be back after that interview to answer some of your Twitter questions. Yeah! 
And now let's welcome back to the show by popular demand, uh, a guy who I've been following closely for, you know, these several years uh, I've been on the beat now. And even before that, whose work I know a lot of you really appreciate. And that is from MSG Network and from ClearSight Analytics, Steve Valaket. And Steve, just to start with this, because I can't tell you how many people have asked me about wanting to hear you back on the podcast. Do you know how much Rangers fans love watching you on TV and appreciate your work and how popular you've become with your job now as an analyst? I don't, but I do know, <laughs> I do know that I get recognized a few times now when I walk from Grand Central to MSG. And I actually thought about that this week where I'm like, you know, I'm getting recognized more. Is it because of the popularity of the team? And then I put my finger on it. In theory, I think that people were home for two years. They didn't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, th that's a little modesty, but we really you really do a great do a great job. And I think you one of the things that I really appreciate about the work you do and fans, I, I think, feel the same way is. You take the analytics and dive deeper into the numbers, but you make them digestible. You explain it in, in, in layman's terms. You make it so that on the broadcast forum, I think people come away from it feeling like they actually learn things about the game and you have numbers to support that. It's not just strictly eye test or strictly analytics. It's a blend of both. And I think that's what people really appreciate. No, I appreciate that, Vince. But, you know, don't forget, I've built this for coaches, so... Uh, we're not the brightest guys in the world, and it has to be dumbed down. It has to be simple. And if you go through the database that I do have, it's for hockey guys. It really is. It's a very good blend of old school and new school. I'm very proud of it. And our client teams, we have several now. It's really taken off. So it's a business. It started as a passion project, but it's become a very serious business, and I love doing it. You know what, man? I'm talking hockey all day, and I love player development at the root of everything, I love player development first, and then it seems to me that team development comes just as a blend, almost a byproduct of doing the player side of it right, and that's how I got started in it. Yeah, and it's great. And I, I text Valley every once in a while because I want to ask him about a specific stat or something, and I appreciate him uh, him entertaining me on those questions. So. I want to ask you about a few things. Obviously, we you know trade deadline has been a big topic of conversation, and now we're looking toward the playoffs. But I, I saw a tweet from you the other day, and I thought it really hit the nail on the head, where you said you know you were commenting on the moves that the Rangers had made, and you said they have a strong core of five players. Everybody knows who's, who they are: Igor Shosturkin, Adam Fox, Mika Zibanejad, Artemi Panarin, and Chris Kreider. And they needed a little help around the edges. So it, it sounds to me like like you feel this way. I know. A lot of people I've talked to around the league feel this way. I, I personally feel this way, but the the depth, the especially at forward, where we saw that they needed some help over the course of the season, the way that they were able to round out this roster, it really seems to have solidified them in a pretty positive way as we look toward the playoffs. The way the team was built, Vince, I just agree with the steps that were taken when, because you can you can find the bricklayers. You can find the bricklayers at the trade deadline because there are some really good players on teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. And you can get those players at that time. Before the season begins, 80% of the league thinks they have a shot to get in the playoffs. And then you get to Thanksgiving and Christmas and it starts to look bleak. But the, really, the teams that are close, the really good teams that are close, bubble teams, those players are the guys that I want. They've played meaningful minutes through a season. You see Vancouver going to run for a while, and then you're able to get a Tyler Mott, 
So these types of guys, just like a Blake Coleman once was for Tampa Bay and a Barkley Goudreau, the reason why Barkley got money and years was because he is such a special player and such a special bricklayer that you wouldn't be able to get him unless it was free agency. But the other pieces you're able to put in because you've got the painters, the guys that have painted the ceiling, Panarin, Fox, uh, of course, Kreider, Shesterkin, Truba's, Truba's making his way into that core five that I oftentimes talk about. Oh, I thought so, I thought he was outstanding in that game against Pittsburgh on Tuesday night. He was he awesome. Really, yeah, yeah, awesome. So commanding, Vince. So commanding, and it's nice. That's the word I like to use when I'm talking about a defenseman that drives play, shuts down plays, inspires movement up the ice because he just destroys people. Uh, his hit on Heinen, I was just like, oh, my goodness. I love the way that he tracked him all the way around the ice, behind the net, laid him out, and then the Rangers go the other way. Um, really, I thought one of the best games of the of the season. But I find right now that when I look at the team, it has it has the core players that have the surrounding people around it. And for Chris Drury, he hit it out of the park with Vetrano, with Mott, uh, of course, with Cop as well, he looks great. Um, but you know what? You only get to that point, Vince, if the players that were here, the guys that painted the ceiling, had set the table so the GM and president can eat. And they did that. I give them, I give the players all of the credit. And, of course, management gets credit for following through on what they did. I want to share this with you. NHL playoffs for many years – have been defined by getting in and being in before Thanksgiving. That was Ken Holland's thing from when he was with the Detroit Red Wings when they made it 25 years in a row. And this Thanksgiving, because it's also one of those years that has been off and the schedule was affected early on and we start a little bit later in October, I was looking at the teams that were in and the teams that were out by American Thanksgiving. And there was definitely some movement this year. It wasn't set. Uh, but the Rangers at that point, by points percentage, were in sixth. And then at Christmas break, Anaheim's in, Vegas is in, but LA Kings are out and Dallas was out. Now in now and Anaheim and Vegas are out. But the Rangers were fourth in points percentage at Christmas. And then I was looking at All-Star break, which was February the 5th. And looking at Vegas, excuse me, did I say February that right, Vince? February 5th? Yeah, right? Well, fe- yeah. Fe- February is when they had a lot of the time off. Yeah, it was February 5th. That's the yeah. All-Star break. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vegas was in. Dallas was out. The Rangers had slipped just a little bit. They were seventh in points percentage. And then by March 30th, now, the Rangers are back in fifth. So, you know, for a lot of the season, we've heard that it was Shesterkin, and he's carrying this team that's mediocre. And then we heard that the Rangers can't beat teams that are above them and they can't score at five on five. And it's amazing to me how the narrative has really shifted. And this got me thinking, just looking at this exercise, well, how can a team go through an NHL season for this length of time and always be in and around the top five in points percentage? So I started looking at the impact that Shesterkin has had, and it really had me uh, kind of take a step back just to recall where we began with this season, which was Igor Shesterkin was facing the most difficult array of chances in the NHL in October, November, and then right until Christmas. 
And then he went from having one of the hardest environments to play in to one of the easiest. So this is where the narrative really flips because when you look at Christmas until March 30th today, um, it's fifth in the array of chances that he's faced in terms of difficulty, fifth easiest. So it, it gets me excited because it reminded me of when I was a teenager, I was playing for the Erie Otters in the OHL and Sherry Basson was our general manager, Vince. And he came in and traded for me right around our trade deadline in the OHL. And he said, Steve, we've got a really good team here, but this team doesn't believe in themselves. They need a goalie to steal a few games early on and then the team will follow. And yes, I do like analytics and I, I know where that piece resides in, in the jigsaw puzzle. But the thing that I saw last night against the Penguins was that this team believes in Igor to the point that they know he's going to make a save. So they're already transitioning to be able to be in the right position to collect the puck, get up ice, and then counter punch. Now, you don't see that a lot because what you oftentimes see in the NHL is the team is trying to sort out where everybody is, where's the rebound going. Is our goalie going to make the save? There's a sense of spectator there that takes place. And it's almost like the Rangers have been able to eliminate that delay from their game because they know the belief system is so strong. Now, the goalie stole a number of games early in the season. The team belief now has taken over. They're defending better. Igor is facing chances that he's on the other side of the spectrum now. He's still overperforming what he's facing, but he doesn't have to be that piece of the impact any longer. And the team is playing like a team that's built for the Stanley Cup playoffs. I called you today because I'm excited to talk about this. I mean, I want to get on the phone and talk to you about this. This is, I've been covering the team now eight years, and it's been four years until I've been this excited. And I'm thrilled with what I see with my eyes, and I'm thrilled with what I'm seeing in the data that I'm looking at that backs up what I believe is happening, which is a belief system in a team that just set a record last night with their 23rd comeback victory of the season. And that's not just leading the league this year in the NHL, but that's a New York Ranger team franchise record. I mean, are you kidding me? You know, this is, we got something special here and I, I hope everybody's excited, as excited as I am. And that's one of those things when you talk about the comebacks and the resiliency that it's harder to measure that data, but that is anybody who's followed this team all year long. It's been so obvious that they just have this, this poise and this knack to pull out those games in those tight situations. I was on a radio show earlier today and I was asked, you know, the, the last 90 seconds were so crazy. It looked like the Rangers might blow the lead. And I was like, you know, it seems that way when you're watching, but there also is this, this confidence that this team seems to have in those situations that has permeated. And over the course of the season, it's shown up time and time again. And like you said, I think the goalie is a big part of that. But a another thing that you touched on there that, that I want to follow up on is the defensive play because they were bleeding a lot of dangerous scoring chances early in the season. And if you look at the numbers recently, that that's gone way down. The shots against have gone way down. Igor only needed to make 22 saves against the Penguins the other night. And that was a Penguins team that in their previous game had put up 11 goals on the Red Wings. So that's a, that's a team that can score at a high rate. We, we know the superstar talent that they have. So are you seeing anything specifically with the defense that tells you that they, the, these improvements have been made when, when you watch them in the last month or two? 
you know, it was really telling in the game last night, Vince. And look, we've um, we've only got five more games against playoff teams. So here's the difficult part of the schedule, right? You've got 15 games remaining, 10 are against non-playoff teams, five are against playoff teams. Last night being a game against a playoff team and potentially a matchup team. So going into that game preparation-wise, I know what the players are thinking. They know that this is a measuring game for the group. Where are we? Are we ready to start playoffs? You almost want to give yourself permission as an athlete to have a great game so you can say, you know what, I believe in us too. And here's what I saw last night. Pittsburgh backed off the Rangers. I was, I was anticipating Pittsburgh to come out flying in the first 10 minutes. And you know what they did? They played a passive neutral zone trap style game. Their first forward on the forecheck was passive at the offensive blue line. They had two people in the neutral zone pressuring the Rangers to dump the puck. And they had two defensemen set back behind the defensive blue line. The Rangers sliced and diced them in the first period, in my opinion. Through the neutral zone, they had seven or eight controlled breakouts they got through in. I've had coaches tell me, if we allow a team into a controlled breakout, it means that we respect them. We respect them. Because what happened Friday night when the Rangers beat the Penguins 5-1 was they had 16 rush chances in that game, and they went four of their five goals were scored off the rush. So if I'm Mike Sullivan and I'm assessing my group for the next game, which is a home game for us, I might be a little more passive in how I'm forechecking because I'm afraid of the Rangers rush game. They weren't able to neutralize the Rangers rush. The Rangers were able to get in. They were able to still establish themselves and establish their inset game, which is their set offense once they get into their setup in the offensive zone. One thing I can say that I certainly see is that and it's backed up actually by these numbers that, that I do look at, and it is a factor. When you're looking at a team that is getting more chances off the rush because the Rangers really didn't play anything like the team they were last year in the first months of this season off the rush. But in October, the Rangers played 13 games. They had six breakaways the entire month, very wow. slow. Bottom, mm-hmm. bottom of the league, bottom of the league. Now, going into last night's game in Pittsburgh, they had also played 13 games in the month of March, they had 20 breakaways. They had 20 breakaways in the month of March. Now it takes a little while for a new coach to set his hooks into a team. But what I feel I see, and again, this is back to where it all begins too, which is the core belief system in Igor, the defense, they do not have to run out of position to cover for a goalie that they're unsure about. Everybody gets to do their job. Everybody holds the middle of the ice They don't allow the puck across the slot line, whether the player is carrying it or passing it. And they pick up people now, knowing that if Igor sees it, he's going to stop it. Igor, from the slot, he's faced 99 this year where he's had clear view on it. He's given up three goals. I, I know the team, whether they know the numbers or not, it's not important. They know it intuitively. Uh, this guy's not going to get beat on a clean shot. So... I know there's a belief there for everybody to do their job, but also speed up the process out of their zone and have confidence that they're getting the save so they can all be in the right spots, get into a double swing and get yourself up the ice. And they have the people to do it. I mean, the way the defense is performing is also uh, with a lot of help of the back check from the forwards, which is certainly there. And I remember many times being on the bench and hearing the defenseman just yapping at the forwards 
we can't stay up at the blue line unless you get the F back, you know, and mm-hmm. that's, that's the way it is. Um, so we're seeing that as well, though. It really looks like a group of five that is playing together because the six men on the ice, uh, the belief there are just so strong. And yeah, I don't know if I finished the story familiar about my time with the Erie Otters, but we went from giving up 38 shots a game to weeks later where there was the belief in me to giving up 18. And the team at some point takes over after there's a deep belief in the goaltender. I've always believed that. That's a, that's a great point. It's an interesting point because I think people are wondering, you know, why are they giving up fewer shots? Why doesn't Igor have to stand on his head quite in the way that, that he did earlier in the season? And it does seem that whether it's getting a better grasp on the system or I think as you speak to more belief in what they're doing and more belief in the goalie, it does just seem to be a much more cohesive effort recently which leads me into the, the question that I think lingered going into the trade deadline. And I'm curious if you thought this was overblown or if you thought it was a legitimate concern and then how you've seen it trending since, and that's five on five offense. Do you, do you still see that as a concern for this team or did you, did you even see it that way in the first place? And then where do you see it trending now? It was a concern early on because they didn't have cop, didn't have Mott, they didn't have a Toronto, a Toronto, you know, I was looking at this the other day and this shocked me. Okay. I was looking at five on five scoring, which is what the Rangers were shopping for at the deadline. Okay. Yeah. And per 60, um, for the fans that don't know, you really have to look at per 60 so you can equalize everybody's time on ice. If you look at games played, the statistics are are not very uh, revealing in truth. So you have to look at per 60. So at five on five per 60, since 2015, 2016, uh, Vitrano was 38th in the NHL in goals per 60. Okay. Now that might not sound amazing, but you have to go to NHL.com and see the players in which the neighborhood he lives at number 38. You will see all the big names in the league. You're going to see his name, and then you're going to see all the big names in the league again. Mm-hmm. And if you don't follow the league that closely, you are you still know. 75 to 100 players that have names, yeah, you know, big yeah. name guys. And you're going to see that he was right there. And I don't want to insinuate that this was an analytics trade, but it certainly shows me that this guy at five on five is a trigger man. Now you play him with an elite passer that is Zabanajad, and you play him with Kreider, who is a, an elite guy at taking attention, okay, from people. When Kreider's on the ice right now, he, he's going to garner a lot of attention. Now, we've seen Vitrano get open ice, and this guy's a shooter, man. I mean, five goals uh, that I looked at before the uh, first game that he played in, I was like, oh, my goodness, this guy this guy can shoot. And he's got a clear one-track mind out on the ice. He is shoot. And isn't that something that's just perfect for having a net front guy and an elite passer on the line with? And he's got wheels. He's got jets to play with those two guys. Um, I love that line. I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, I think he's going to be there. And uh, we were talking about it before the game. Sure enough, goes out and scores again. And John Giannone and I are just laughing. Like We're like, wow, found money with this guy. 
Well, and, and you just touched on something else that, that I thought was important for this team as you watch them, especially against some of the faster teams in the league, like a Carolina, is that there wasn't, a, you know, Kreider's an elite skater. Heedle's a really good skater. They've got some good skaters on the blue line. But top to bottom, as far as the forwards are concerned, it seemed like they needed an influx of speed. And with Vetrano, with Mott, and even with Cop, they, they definitely look like a faster team recently. Faster for sure. I feel like this team can play anybody's game. And that's the thing about the playoffs too, Vince, is you've got to play many different types of games depending on the series that you're in. And if matchups make fights, matchups make playoff series, and the Rangers, they can go anybody. They can go anybody in specialty teams. They can play anybody. And uh, in the East, I think they have the advantage over everybody. If you're going to talk about power play versus power play and PK versus PK, I'm, I'm fine with any matchup there. At five on five, since the deadline, I believe they're top five in scoring league-wide. That's come. Goaltending, who's going to beat Igor four times in seven games? I, I'll believe it when I see it with the way that he's played all year. So a lot of confidence there. Uh, you want to talk about, you want, you want to play tough, you want to play in the alley. The team can play there. Uh, you know, if you want to play finesse, you want to go rush for rush. I, I think they can play any game. Um, overall, looking at things around the league, trends, who's playing really well, nobody's playing better than the Boston Bruins. They're playing the best hockey. I know they got blown out last night, but for the last two, three months, they've been a team that's been very scary in the East. And um, when you look at the possible matchups in the first round, it does look like it's going to be Rangers pit in the first round. I love the Rangers chances to get out of that first round. So you go from there, don't you? You start there and then you see where you hope a couple of people take bites out of each other and they're a little bit hobbled by the second round. But I like the Rangers chances in the first round. I'm pretty excited about it, actually. As far as the East is concerned, do you think matchup-wise Carolina would be the scariest team for you, for you for the Rangers to face, or do you have a different opinion on that? The only opinion I have on that is, and I love their team. I think they're terrific. I really do. I think that they are all over you, in your face. They're a team that likes to volume shoot, and that could feed into Igor's game. In a series like that, I'd, I'd guess Igor steals two games. I wonder about of Frederick Anderson because I've covered him so closely with the Leafs the last few years. And the one thing that can sink a, a team's belief is bad goals. And Frederick Anderson is no longer in Toronto because of those moments that he had where he had lapses in concentration in the playoffs. And I wonder if those old thoughts, those demons come back in the playoffs for him because if he's out there performing at the level that he's played at all year, that's a really tough series. That's a seven-game series with the Rangers. And if he's able to just be the difference maker in a bad way for his team, in a good way for the Rangers, it would be that the low-danger goals end up in the back of the net. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to go through all of the criteria that goes into what qualifies a bad goal, but the way I typically would say it to somebody is, and I get questioned on it. Look, I give presentations to NHL teams all the time. 
And sometimes there's a goal that looks a specific way that they would say, Steve, I don't know if I, I think we would call that a, a grade A chance. And I would say, well, it's not a low danger goal just because I'm calling it that, Vince. It's not. Like, I don't just call it out as that. It's a low danger goal because everybody else in the league is stopping it. So the goalies around the league have a high safe percentage in a particular shooting sequence. Um, it is a high danger goal. If they have a low shooting percentage, it's a low danger goal. It's just the way it goes. And um, when I look at the goals against that he does allow, I still see a goalie that could be fragile. And that could be the difference between a really good team going to the final four again, which they've done two, two years in a row to unraveling it, it again, it comes back to the belief in the goalie. And I think that's just something that you see, it runs through a team where, and the numbers do tell a story here uh, through the league last year, it was 86% of the time teams would lose 86% of the time. If their goalie gives up the bad goal and the other goalie doesn't. Um, if both goalies happen to give up a bad goal in the same game, that doesn't qualify. Um, but it's it's there again this year with Carolina. They've had a tendency to give up bad goals. And I think that could be something that Igor definitely has an advantage over any matchup in the first round is uh, you can think of the bad goals on one hand with them. You know, there was one uh, against Dallas from the dead angle, um, you know, but there really hasn't been many. I think there's three on the season for him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's that is the X factor for them. Yeah, but that the East is just so it's so hard to predict. I feel like because we talk about Carolina, I think based on the what we saw them do against the Rangers this season, it, it looks like they would be a very difficult team to beat. But you touch on the goalie stuff, and I think that's absolutely a valid concern. Boston playing really well. Tampa's the two-time champion. Florida, even though the Rangers have fared pretty well against them, they are loaded right now, especially after the trade deadline. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. But the fun part is the Rangers are going to be there, and whatever happens from there, we'll wait and find out. But it, they are they have punched their ticket, and I think with the moves that they made at the trade deadline, we both feel like they have put themselves in a much better position to potentially succeed than they would have been had they stood pat. So that's kind of the exciting thing I think for fans right now. I would be very excited. Uh, the window is open. It's just fascinating that we're here already because definitely ahead of schedule. I didn't anticipate this. I remember on the post game, right near the end of the season last year, I remember saying on the, on television, I said, this team's going to be nasty next year. And I expected them to be nasty as far as excitement. I thought the excitement would be there because you've got a flashy goalie and you've got a great offense but I certainly didn't anticipate how good they are right now. And I mean, built, and I mean, built on the ice, built in the alley. Uh, this is a team that's fight. They, they more, more than anything to me, Vince, this is a close team. This is a close group. I always look at the players when they celebrate goals. Are you really getting, you can really judge somebody too, when they're getting excited for their teammate, when they score, you can really judge somebody when maybe a teammate blows a wheel but they're willing to sacrifice their body to block a shot for somebody to cover up for a teammate's mistake, not just their own. Uh, this is not a group that goes into one-on-one me, 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 as soon as the game gets tight. Um, I just believe in the group as far as what I see. And um, certainly it backs up with what I'm also studying and, and can qualify and quantify. You, you certainly can't quantify heart, but you can see it. It has a look. Last night when we're watching them against the Penguins and I see Igor make a save and everybody on just fast instinct 
gone out of the zone. You know, that's something where, you know, it gives me goosebumps. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be exciting, you know? And uh, that's what I anticipate seeing is just getting through the first couple of games and um, getting that belief going because it comes from that. If, if this group believes they can do it and they care deeply about one another, they have a run in them. Awesome. Awesome. Valuable. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time. We, we love hearing from you. I'm sure a lot of fans will be continuing to watch even more so as we get closer to the playoffs. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch. And thanks again for, for reaching out and taking the time today. Hey, my, my pleasure, Vince. We'll see you during the run, buddy. And we're back. Funny story with Valley. This guy, as you can tell, is super passionate about this stuff. Him and I had been texting about something entirely separate from the podcast last week. And then I had said to him, you know, just casually sort of, hey, you know, at some point in the next couple of months, it'd be great to have you back on the pod. Let me know what you, you know, when works out into your schedule. We're all super busy right now, yada, yada, yada. And then I land in Detroit on Wednesday. I'm in my lift heading to the hotel and I get a text from Valley and he's like, hey, hey, uh, can I come on the pod? I, I want to talk about some stuff. So, so he was amped up. He just reached out to me out of the blue and I was like, hey, yeah, I'm going to I'm checking in in about 15 minutes. If you want to come on, we can make it happen. So worked out great. He had been running through some numbers, I think, in his office and, and wanted to come on and share and talk about the trade deadline and you know, tell you guys about how he's feeling about the team's chances now that they've done what they did and that they're playing the way that they're playing right now. So really interesting conversation with him. Always a pleasure to have him on. And I definitely appreciate his insights. And I appreciate him answering my questions when I want to figure out something about a stat that I'm not entirely sure about or want him to dig into something for me. He's been super helpful and responsive. And I very much appreciate that. All right. Now, let's get to your Twitter questions, and we will start with one from C-Schools, who actually squeezed in two, but we're going to allow it. First one is, where do you see Kako slotting back into the lineup once healthy? Should be soon with the early April timeline. This ties into, I think a few people I saw were asking about specifically the third line and the way that Alexi Lafreniere and Philip Hedl have been playing recently, which I think is is good, really good. You can even look at the last eight games, I think it is about, was the sample size I was looking at earlier, and their numbers have ticked up both as far as point production, which we know Lafreniere had that six-game point streak recently. Hedl scored a goal on Wednesday in Detroit. So they've been more productive players, but also when you look at the underlying numbers, shot share, expected goals, all that kind of stuff, those guys have been pretty good recently, better than when they played together earlier in the season. And we know that the Rangers have tried different variations of that quote-unquote kid line in the past. But I think one of the main differences right now is that their right winger in the last handful of games has been Barclay Goudreau. And whether... There's as much to the ripple effect as, as some might believe. I believe there is something to it as far as you, you look at the way that these guys are playing and the way that they're forechecking, the way that they seem to be hounding the other team on breakouts and in the D zone and in the neutral zone. They just seem to be playing with more spunk to me, a little more speed, a little more staying on top of people 
kind of an attitude. So that I think is really good for those guys. It's, it's led to more possession for them. It's led to more rush opportunities for them. And I do think that that's a line that you have to give serious consideration to keeping together. My question as far as Kako fits, you look at the first line right now with Zabanajad, Kreider, and Vetrano. They've been excellent since they joined forces, I think it was four or five games ago. So you, you look at that and you say, we don't want to break, the, break this up right now. Vetrano has been scoring a lot. Kreider continues to light it up. And I think with Kreider on the inside, as, as Valley just touched on, and Vetrano on the outside, it really lets Mika Zabanajad roam and have multiple passing options with high-end shooters in both locations. So I think the Rangers would be hesitant to break that up right now because of how well they've played together. And then we talked also about the second line with Panarin, Strom presumably coming back soon. And then Kopp is a guy who I think that they want on that line because he is going to bring all of the various elements of the 200-foot game and the defense and the face-offs in particular because Strom has not been great on face-offs. So it's definitely a luxury to have Kopp and his 54% face-off percentage out there to take important draws and let Strom move off to the side. So I kind of think they want to keep Kopp in that spot as well. So what does that leave you with for the third line? Potentially, you could see Lafreniere, Hedl, and Kako. My concern with that, and listen, Kako has been much improved defensively. There's no doubt about that. But Kako also is a much different player from Barclay Goudreau. Goudreau is more of a guy who's going to get inside, retrieve pucks, really, really be committed to the forecheck. So I I would be a little hesitant to go back to the kid line thing because we've just seen the kid line thing before. And I have never been at a point with that where I felt like all of these guys who are 20, 21, 22 years old being on the same line together has really worked out great. Personally, I prefer more balance. I prefer more of a stay-at-home guy like Gaudreau or a veteran guy like Gaudreau balancing those young guys who we know have the skill and the offensive talent. So it's a hard question because Goudreau is the guy of those top nine forwards that we've gone over who most easily slots in on the fourth line and would do it without a peep and no ego involved and fits really well on a fourth line kind of role. If Barclay Goudreau is on your fourth line, you've got a really damn good lineup. So I guess Goudreau, when Kako comes back, inevitably ends up on the fourth line. That is just what the obvious looking at the lineup on paper instincts tell you. But at the same time, does that mean you go with Lafreniere, Hedl, Kako? Or do you put Kako in the top six and then drop either Vetrano or Kopp down to that third line? Kopp, I think, could do a lot of the things that we've seen Goudreau do well on that third line. So maybe that makes some sense. And then maybe you put Kako back with Stroman Panarin, where we felt like he was probably playing his best hockey of the season. I think those are, in my mind, the two options. Although if the Rangers really like the way the cop is on that second line and they determined that Petrano was the guy to move down, we've also seen them use Kako with Zabanajad and Kreider. So certainly some options to consider. For me... If I had to make the call, I think I would prefer Cop on the third line with Lafreniere and Hedl 
and Kako on the second line with Strom and Panarin. But I, I can't sit here and tell you that I definitively think that's the way the Rangers would play it. it it's kind of a tough decision, but those nine guys, Zabanajad, Kreider, Vetrano, Panarin, Strom, Kopp, Kako, Hedl, Lafreniere, those kind of have to be your top nine forwards, no? Barclay Gaudreau has been, I think, good on the third line recently, but he's the only guy in that group that I think makes sense on your fourth line. And then you build a fourth line around Gaudreau. Obviously, Tyler Mott's going to be there too. So you build your fourth line around Mott and Gaudreau, and then you can kind of pick your poison. Does Kevin Rooney slot in there? Do you want a bigger, heavier guy that's going to be physical, guy that can be an intimidating force for the other team in Reeves? Do you want more speed with Johnny Brodzinski? You have options for that final spot, but obviously Mott and Gaudreau are going to be in this lineup no matter what. So when you put it all together, it has the makings of what looks like a really well-balanced, nicely put together lineup. Again, just I don't know exactly how they're going to play it. I think that's, that's a very interesting question moving forward. All right, your second question was, why didn't the Rangers address the backup goalie position at the deadline? In some ways, I think they did. Deciding to hold on to Georgiev was them saying, rather than getting whatever we can get for him, which by all indications was going to be like a very late round pick, it wasn't going to be much value there. But by deciding to hold on to him, they basically said, we feel better about him as our backup versus the alternatives. I don't think they were ever going to go and trade for another backup. The options were trade Georgiev and promote Kincaid or keep Georgiev and play out the season and then deal with whatever you have to deal with, you know, to basically say goodbye to him this summer. Because we know, as we've talked about before, they are almost surely going to say goodbye to him this summer. They're definitely going to because they just can't fit it from a salary cap perspective. So I think that while we, we know and we've seen and we've talked about repeatedly the issues that Georgiev has had as a backup. If Igor were to get hurt and they needed somebody who was going to step in and be the starter and play consistently, they feel better about Georgiev in that kind of a role than they do the alternatives. We've seen him when he gets to play a lot, do pretty well with it and play much better than he does in these spurts and these spot starts when he seems to really struggle with consistency. So I think they kind of did make a decision as far as the backup goalie position. And that was, listen, Igor's our guy in the playoffs. Obviously, Igor's going to play every single game. And in the meantime, if anything were to happen to Igor, we feel better about Georgiev stepping in as the starter than we do the alternative. So that, that I feel, is kind of the decision that was made there. All right, next question comes from MG, who wrote, Rangers salary cap question. And now I want to clarify this really quickly because MG wrote $11.7 million available for a minimum of four spots with no reserves. So you guys know that I've mentioned to you before this $10.7 million figure that the Rangers have as far as their salary cap space for next season. Now that $10.7 I had projected in the past and ran it by with some sources was with 17 players on the roster under contract. So assuming they don't move anybody, everybody comes back next year. Now, the 17th player in that scenario that I had projected was Morgan Barron. So Barron is now in Winnipeg. So we have to remove him from that projection. That leaves us with 16 guys under contract and an updated projection of $11.7 million, roughly, for the Rangers to spend to fill a minimum of four 
and a maximum of seven spots on the roster because you have to have at least 20 and you can go up to 23. So 16 players, 11.7 million to spend. Now, you could look at it again back to that 10.7 number because even with Barron gone, the Rangers are almost surely going to have to slot in at least one more guy like him on an entry-level contract, which would, again, push us back to that 10.7. But for the sake of, of who's on the roster now, who they definitely have under contract, and we can kind of assume would be on the team if they don't get traded this summer, we'll stick with the 16 players. 11.7 is now sort of the updated projection. Now, with that 11.7, as MG spells out here, he's roughly guessing $5 million for a center, $2.5 million for Kako, $2 million for Sammy Blay. Those are the two big restricted free agents the Rangers have to re-sign. 925000 for a backup goalie, 925000 for Zach Jones, and he assumes Patrick Nemeth in that situation will be the seventh defenseman. And he said that leaves you with about 350000 So that tells you, that really spells out for you guys how tight it's going to be when you figure a second-line center, Kako Blay, backup goalie, and whoever you end up being the seventh defenseman is going to have to be someone cheap. The next part of his question, though, is he asks about trading Nemeth to clear more room. And I wanted to just touch on that for a moment because I've had people reach out to me and say, oh, well, if you move Nemeth, that clears two and a half million dollars because that's Nemeth's salary. But it's not that simple. If you trade Nemeth, who makes two and a half million, you have to replace him with another defenseman. So even if we figure it's an entry-level guy like Zach Jones, you're not saving two and a half. You have to pay Jones. So you're really only saving a million and a half, which, listen, with the situation the Rangers are in, that million and a half would be valuable. So I, I think it's something they should seriously explore but the guys that they could potentially move like a Nemeth, it doesn't, don't look at that as two and a half million in savings because they have to replace him with somebody else. So I think that MG's question, as you look at this and he kind of spells out what he's thinking as far as cost, I think that's pretty close. I've told you guys before, they ideally want to acquire a center in the $5 million, at most $6 million a year range. I think two and a half million for Kako is close to what it might end up being. Two million for Blay, I think they're going to try to keep it under two. Right now he's at one and a half. Maybe you figure somewhere between one and a half and two. And then, yes, they're going to need a goalie who's a million or less. And they're going to need at least one more of those kids on the blue line to step up and be a cheap alternative for them, as well as other cheap alternatives for depth purposes. It's tight, folks. It's really tight. And I think that, that this... The way that MG laid, laid this out shows you just how tight it's going to be. So I would say moving forward, the safe way to look at it is 16 players on the roster. And I'm sure I'll lay this out in a story to make it easier to digest with about 11.7 to spend to fill those final four to seven spots. All right. Well, that kind of leads us perfectly into this final question, which comes from Solomon Sultan 3, who asks, besides Shifley, which two C's are pending unrestricted free agents this summer that the Rangers could potentially target? I'd assume there must be playoff teams on the verge of losing a 2C. Otherwise, the Rangers would have targeted them prior to the deadline if they were looking to sell. Quick note, 
Shifley is not a pending unrestricted free agent. He has one more year left on his deal, which is what makes him appealing possibly as a trade target for the Rangers. But as far as the unrestricted free agents at center, we've talked about trade possibilities before, but we haven't really talked that much about if the Rangers were to go out and sign somebody who's available. And the pickings are pretty slim. Let's run through it here. The top center on the board, had he hit free agency, would have been Tomas Hurdle, but the Sharks re-signed him, so he's off the board now. Nazem Kadri from the Colorado Avalanche, I think now has risen as the top potential center that will be a free agent this summer. He's currently at $4.5 million, which is a very reasonable cap hit, but he has had an outstanding season. One of the NHL's leading scorers, I believe over 80 points right now. He is looking at a big raise coming up. You have to figure he's going to end up somewhere in that 7 to $8 million range, at the very minimum somewhere in the sixes. But coming off the kind of season that he's coming off of, I think he'll probably be the most coveted center on the free agent market, which will probably price him out for the Rangers. The other top options are all aging stars. Starts with Patrice Bergeron from the Boston Bruins. My, my question with him first and foremost would be, he's their captain. He's been there forever. Would he actually leave Boston? But then even if he was willing to leave Boston, he's 36 years old and he's already making close to $7 million. So what would you have to pay him to convince him to leave Boston? That might put him out of the Rangers range as well. You've got Evgeny Malkin from the Penguins, superstar player for many years. He's now 35. He's currently making $9.5 million. You have to figure he's going to end up with less than that, but how much less? Again, probably too pricey for the Rangers. And then you've got Claude Giroux, who was just traded from the Flyers to the Panthers. A little bit younger than those other guys, but he's still 34, and he's currently making over $8 million. So even if he comes down from that $8 million a little bit, again, probably too pricey for the Rangers. So Bergeron, Malkin, Giroux, and Kadri are all guys that I think would be really difficult for the Rangers to get into bidding wars for. Unless they were willing to take significant drop-offs in their pay, they're probably not coming here. So those guys are probably out. The most realistic unrestricted free agents are two guys who are currently on the team, Strom and Andrew Kopp. And then another name that jumps out to me is maybe an under-the-radar target is Vincent Trocek from the Carolina Hurricanes. He's a name that jumps out to me because he's only, he's only 28. He's only making $4.75 million right now. You would assume he's going to get a little bit of a raise, but could the Rangers potentially get him for a number that starts with a five? That's a guy who I think I could see them making a call on, and we know that he fits well in that Carolina system that, that is heavy on the forecheck and speedy and all that stuff that the Rangers value. So, Trocek is maybe an under-the-radar name to keep an eye on if the Rangers couldn't come to a deal with either Strom or Kopp and they end up going the free agent route. I still think a trade feels most likely, with Shifley being a top target, no doubt about it. We heard Scott Billick talk about that at length on last week's episode. And then you look around the league and you wonder, could they pry away, let's say, a guy that we saw Wednesday night in Detroit and Dylan Larkin? How about one of those centers that we've discussed from Seattle, like Yanni Gord or Vancouver, like JT Miller or Bo Horvat? Those, I think, would be the names that, as far as when I look around at rosters on other teams, guys that are under contract for next season and fall within the Rangers' price range, which, again, ideally it's a number that starts with a five. 
because as as a MG laid out for us with the salary cap situation, they can't really do much more than that. So I still think the most likely options are trade, re-sign Strom, re-sign Cop. But if none of that works out and they have to go in a different direction, the big names like Kadri and Bergeron and Malkin and Giroux, I don't see as very realistic for the Rangers. I, I think Trocheck, as far as the guys that we know right now are heading to free agency, that would be in the Rangers price range. Trocheck is probably the name that I think when I look through that list jumps out to me the most. With that, we're going to end this episode. I have a plane to catch. Got to leave the hotel in about 20 minutes. So this works out perfectly. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Valley for coming on. Again, this episode is coming out on a Friday morning. So a day later than usual. I got to look ahead to the schedule next week, but hopefully we'll be back on the regular Thursday morning rollout. It depends if the Rangers have a game on Wednesday, which to be honest with you off the top of my head right now, I'm not entirely sure of, but I will keep you guys posted as always via Twitter. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week and I will talk to you next week.